0: From the opinion pages of The Wall Street Journal, this is Potomac Watch. Federal regulators intervene to rescue depositors at Silicon Valley Bank and to try to stop contagion from the bank failure to the rest of the banking system. President uh, Biden says it's not a bailout and he blames President Trump for any troubles at the banks. We'll try to sort the fact from the political fiction and tell you where this latest financial panic could go welcome i'm paul gigot editor of the editorial page of the wall street journal and i'm here with two of my colleagues who follow these issues uh, intimately alicia finley and joe sternberg welcome to you both so the backdrop here is the silicon valley bank bank with a couple of hundred billion dollars in assets was taken over by the federal deposit insurance corporation on friday and the fdic was hunting for a buyer held an auction on sunday Apparently, there were bids, but in the end, uh, nobody, the FDIC, was willing to accept the bids. So no buyer yet for the bank and its assets, which is typically what happens in bank closures. You have the FDIC find a private buyer, private capital. But then on Sunday evening at about 6.20, I might add about seven, eight minutes before my deadline (laughs) or the early edition intervened with a statement, Fed, Treasury, and the FDIC, a joint statement saying that they'd insure the uninsured deposits at SVB and Signature Bank in New York, which was also closed by regulators, plus the Federal Reserve created a new lending facility, which we will elaborate on in a little bit. Let's listen to President Biden on Monday morning talking about what happened.
1: The management of these banks will be fired. If the bank is taken over by FDIC... The people running the bank should not work there anymore. Investors in the banks will not be protected. They knowingly took a risk, and when the risk didn't pay off, investors lose their money. That's how capitalism works. There are important questions of how these banks got into the circumstance in the first place. We must get the full accounting of what happened and why those responsible can be held accountable. In my administration, no one, in my no one is above the law.
0: Well, there you go. Joe Biden saying, we'll tell you what happened sometime later. Alicia, what do you think happened at SVB?
2: Well, I think at root, this was poor mismanagement of interest rate risk. So what happened was during the pandemic, the Fed essentially flooded the system with liquidity. A lot of that money went into venture capital funds and startup funds and deposits at the Silicon Valley Bank. The problem is the Silicon Valley Bank really couldn't lend that out safely. I think the deposits doubled in just a year. So what it did was it took on a lot of interest rate risk and went heavily into treasuries, longer yielding or uh, dated treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. And these were yielding partly because of the Fed policies, they encouraging, you know, pushing investors to take more risks and seeking higher yields when interest rates were essentially negative on a real basis. So it piled into longer-dated fixed-income assets while it was borrowing essentially short-term. So this created essentially a duration risk. And as interest rates started rising, the value of the bonds, the assets, fell. And as a result, as tech companies essentially and venture capital companies started to draw down their deposits, partly they were burning cash and then, you know, the rising interest rates, put a lot of pressure on these companies, the Silicon Valley Bank had to liquidate its bond portfolio, but it was taking a loss. I think last week it reported it took $2.25 billion loss as it was selling its bonds.
0: And let me just intervene here for a quick second, Alicia. The reason it had had losses was because when interest rates rise very fast on bonds, if you bought a bond at one value at, say, 1% interest rates, and then the interest rates go up to 4 or 5%, that bond loses value unless it's held until maturity.
2: Right. One question, I guess, is they didn't have to write down losses because they were purportedly holding a lot of these bonds to maturity, but then they really couldn't because they had to liquidate them to you know, compensate for depositors. And so when these problems became clear, Last week, when it announced, Silicon Valley Bank announced that it would have to raise equity, that caused essentially a bank fraud and depositors, VC companies and startups rushed to get their money out. And essentially, Silicon Valley Bank was then insolvent.
0: Right. So combination of management mistakes at the bank, a failure at risk management and regulatory mistakes and incentives, Joe, the monetary policy, loose monetary policy, flooding The financial system with cash, that cash had to find somewhere to go. Zero interest rate policy got the banks looking for higher returns, higher yield than they could make. So they pushed into these fixed income assets. And then the rapid change by the Fed in its policy policy to counter inflation caught the uh, banks in a difficult circumstance with the losses that they could have held to maturity if they didn't have to redeem them for depositors. So the fear now is contagion, that famous uh, word where the Biden administration is worried that the other banks could be at risk. Bank stocks have taken a big hit in the last few days, particularly regional banks. And so they intervened to ensure the uninsured deposits at SVB and at another bank, Signature Bank, in New York, which they also closed. Typically, under the law, banks' deposits are only insured up to $250,000. But now the FDIC is going to insure all uninsured deposits at that bank. That certainly makes a lot of people in Silicon Valley feel a lot better. Does it make you feel a lot better?
3: What a mess. Paul. I mean, this is really extraordinary, and there is so much to unpack about what's going on here. I mean, I think really the place to start in terms of understanding any of this is this purported fear that the Fed and other government officials say they feel about contagion risk, because that already is a huge failure of the post-2008 regulatory regime, if we're even having that conversation. Because remember, the whole thrust of the banking rules that were very onerous, very expensive to comply with, and have had a big, if often, hidden effect on the economy since then. I mean, the the thrust was twofold. One was to try to ensure the security of individual institutions, and then the other was to manage the risk of contagion. And apparently, we are discovering that we're at the point where we can't trust this very regulated financial system can handle a run on something like the 16th largest bank whose customer base is concentrated in one industry of startups in one region of the country that's a really
0: critical point joe this is not jp morgan chase this is the 16th largest bank yeah it had a couple hundred billion in assets but they should have been able to number one manage that risk and monitor it from a regulatory point of view but Why is one bank failure like this a systemic risk, which is what the FDIC apparently triggered? It's a so-called systemic risk exception.
3: What probably has spooked regulators is the prospect of a bank run, which is a fairly unusual development in an advanced economy like the U.S. and is exactly the phenomenon that deposit insurance is supposed to prevent. But then again, I mean, a unique feature of Silicon Valley Bank is that such an enormous proportion of its deposit accounts were too large to be covered by FDIC insurance, which caps out at $250,000. So already, I'm having a lot of trouble figuring out how many banks would actually be in similar danger of a run, because most of them have a much larger proportion of their deposit base doesn't need to run on the bank because they already have that. Insurance, but I do think that what is also probably making regulators and especially the Federal Reserve very nervous is a different kind of contagion. You know, not necessarily the fear that a run on Silicon Valley Bank or any other institution would trigger a cascading series of disasters as that spread throughout the financial system. But the reality that they are all exposed in one form or another to interest rate risk as we are exiting this reckless, unprecedented period of about 15 years, ahistorically low interest rates. And never in world economic history run an experiment like this where you have policies of that sort for 15 years and then try to come out of them. And if I were the Fed, I would probably be nervous about where the vulnerabilities are going to start showing up.
0: On that front, the Fed created a new, essentially, facility that's called Special Purpose Vehicle, in which the Federal Reserve will offer loans to banks for up to one year against the collateral of those treasury bonds Alicia mentioned and those mortgage-backed securities she mentioned. And that is essentially a kind of expanded liquidity vehicle so that the banks can ride out, in essence, this period of losses on their bond investments not have to take the markdowns and transfer the risk from their own balance sheets onto the Federal Reserve. It's rather extraordinary that they would do this, but I think Alicia this is their attempt to try to stop potential contagion.
2: I think that's right. I think they were already seeing other, you know, potential contagion this week with stock prices of the big banks, you know, plunging because there has been a rush to get deposits out of a lot of these regional banks because concerns that this interest rate risk, even though it's not just isolated to the Silicon Valley Bank, that it is a much broader problem in the banking system and among these mid-sized regional banks. Perhaps it's you know more acute to add those like PacWest and others that were on the West Coast, where you do have more concentrated base in the tech community or biotech community. But I think the purpose of this facility was to essentially calm down markets, assure depositors that- you no, know, their money will be available. The Fed is essentially backstopping. These banks, with this lending facility, I was told a lot of the small-sized banks have basically already been tapped out the discount window. The
0: Fed's normal liquidity provision facility, which is the discount window,
2: right? So hence the need to establish this extraordinary facility to provide. I think it's backed up by about twenty-five billion. To me, that seems like it might not be enough. But perhaps you know the Fed says we don't anticipate that we're going to actually have to use all that twenty-five billion dollars in terms of making loans or buying back the mortgage-backed securities and treasuries at par. It's essentially just intended to calm markets. And I don't know if that's actually been successful, judging by the volatility in the bank stocks, that some investors seem to believe that there's a lot more problems going on at some of these banks. You know, one-year loans, we again, we don't know exactly How much the Fed will actually buy or lend against, again, from some of these banks will be enough to staunch the losses and prevent some of these banks from going insolvent.
0: That $25 billion provided by the Treasury Department's Exchange Stabilization Fund, which typically backstops these Fed facilities when they are created. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, we'll talk more about this Silicon Valley Bank panic, the banking system panic and what it means for the economy and for depositors when we come back. If your business
1: needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources,
0: and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com/slash-codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. Don't forget, you can reach the latest episode of Potomac Watch anytime. Just ask your smart speaker, "Play the Opinion Potomac Watch podcast." That is, play the Opinion Potomac Watch podcast
2: from the Opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal. This
0: is Potomac Watch. Welcome back. I'm Paul Gigo with Alicia Finley and Joe Sternberg. We're talking about the bailout of the Silicon Valley Bank depositors and the overall banking system by the Biden administration on Sunday evening, markets obviously showing a great deal of volatility on Monday, but not outright panic. Joe, let's talk a little bit about the expansion of deposit insurance from the statutory $250,000 to all uninsured deposits, virtually all of them, at Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, the two closed banks, but also the suggestion, the implication that if this gets worse, that guarantee for depositors could be extended much more broadly.
3: Well, I mean, it's difficult to see how it can't be extended more broadly at this point because I mean, once they've decided to go down that road with a couple of institutions, I don't know how you argue against doing it for depositors at other institutions. But this is a really big policy change here that I think that people need to be paying particular attention to because there are a lot of distributional Issues. An income and wealth distributional issue. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't escape the conclusion that basically this extension of deposit insurance to big depositors at a place like Silicon Valley Bank is essentially a bailout for large And more sophisticated venture capital firms or or the like who are suddenly discovering that the companies they have invested in are getting this unexpected insurance benefit from the government, whereas historically the U.S. approach had been that you use deposit insurance to protect mom and pop depositors who don't have the wherewithal to conduct due diligence on their banks. But for larger depositors, you actually conceptualize them as as a form of investor in the bank where you would want them to do due diligence in the institutions where they are placing their large deposits. And that itself is supposed to be a form of check or balance in the system. And we are eroding that and potentially putting taxpayers on the hook for large quantities of money here that Congress historically has chosen very clearly not to protect. Well that's exactly right. The
0: FDIC in the 2008 banking crisis did create uh, protection for uninsured deposits through an emergency facility, but under Dodd-Frank, the reform legislation that was supposed to clean up everything after 2008 and passed in 2010 to make the system safer explicitly limited deposit insurance to 250,000 and did not continue that unlimited uninsured deposit guarantee. And I'm not so sure about the legality here of the administration extending this to other depositors without the approval of Congress. It seems to me that the justification here is pretty thin. And I think that Congress should investigate this because, as you say, The problems with unlimited deposit insurance is that it encourages excessive risk-taking. It encourages banks to think that they don't need to worry about a lot of their investments, and it encourages depositors not to have to do the due diligence. And by the way, some of those other banks, banks lend to other banks, and banks don't have to do the due diligence on some of the people they are lending money to. It's really, really troublesome. Let's listen to President Biden again talking about who he thinks was to blame for this.
1: During the Obama-Biden administration, we put in place tough requirements on banks like Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, including the Dodd-Frank law to make sure that the crisis we saw in 2008 would not happen again. Unfortunately, the last administration rolled back some of these requirements. I'm going to ask Congress and the banking regulators to strengthen the rules for banks to make it less likely this kind of bank failure would happen again and to protect American jobs and small businesses. Look, the bottom line is this. Americans can rest assured that our banking system is safe. Your deposits are safe. Let me also assure you, we will not stop at this. We'll do whatever is needed.
0: Lots to unpack there, Alicia. First of all, on the point of whatever it takes, I have no doubt that Joe Biden will do whatever it takes to try to prevent a banking panic as he enters a re-election year. But what about this slaming of Donald Trump for this? Is that fair?
2: Well, it's not exactly clear what he's alluding to. Perhaps he's alluding to there was some relaxation of capital standards, but that only applied to the big banks. Now, there was a bill that was passed with broad bipartisan support called the Crapo Bill because it was spearheaded by Mike Crapo, and it passed with about 67 senators. And what this bill did was it liberated some mid-sized and regional banks that were deemed essentially systemically important financial institutions under Dodd-Frank, which was all the way down to $50 billion in assets. And it raised that threshold to $250 million, which means that prior to the bill, Signature Bank and uh, SVB would have been considered systemically important financial institutions and therefore would have had to abide by more rigorous capital and liquidity requirements. The issue is that the problems that materialize have nothing to do with these capital and liquidity rules. I mean, it was basically a duration risk issue. And these Banks apparently didn't do the internal stress testing that they should have been doing to consider or take into account the risks from a potential shock. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot more scrutiny on why bank examiners, especially at the San Francisco Fed, didn't ensure that the banks should have been doing what they should have been doing.
0: Joe, that's a very important point. The legal change of that Crapo bill didn't absolve the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco from its regulatory responsibilities to monitor what is one of the biggest banks in its system, Silicon Valley Bank. And yet it failed under the Dodd-Frank regime. And this happens time and time again. The regulators, they say, give us more regulatory authority and we'll prevent a failure like this. They get the greater regulatory authority. There's another failure. And then they say, see, we need more regulatory authority. I just don't think you can let the regulators off the hook here. In fact, they are as culpable as the bankers and maybe more so.
3: I think that there is a very good case to be made for that, because, I mean, if you set aside this issue of the specific questions of capital ratios or stress tests or any of the rest of it, which is this whole palaver that we're going to end up getting dragged into as we revisit these 2018 regulatory reforms, the Trump era ones, I mean, the bigger question here are all of the red flags that were popping up at Silicon Valley Bank, including the phenomenal run up in the size of the deposits you know that was popping up which is something that you would ordinarily be curious about if you were a regulator and yet no one at the reserve bank in san francisco thought to pick up the phone and say hey guys what's going on which is the kind of phone call from the regulator that might signal to bank management you know maybe we need to be a little more careful here maybe they are paying attention to what's uh, going on. So, I mean, it's going to be that kind of failure of attentiveness on the part of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, as much as you can have any kind of conversation that you want to about the specific rules that they were supposed to be following. Because, I mean, the reality of financial regulation is that the rules aren't necessarily going to save you because if you have the kind of low interest rates and excessively loose money that we've had for 15 years now, the money will always find its way somewhere. So you can have whatever argument you want to have about the specific rules, but ultimately it is just care and attention and a certain amount of diligence and management incentives that are going to make a big difference here. And that was totally missing, including in Signature Bank, which we haven't talked about much on this podcast, where none other than Barney Frank of Dodd-Frank fame was on the board of directors. (laughs) Right. And uh, with fiduciary responsibility,
0: that's a conversation for another day. I would add that the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank was, until last week, on the board of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. And several observers are saying, well, could there have been a connection between his presence on that board and his lack of due diligence? As a regulator of the bank, I rather doubt that is the case since these bank regulators operate at a lower level of supervision. But it's possible that there was some relationship. But in any case, for whatever reason, it's a monumental regulatory failure. All right. Lots more to to say as this financial panic unfolds. We'll see where it goes. Will there be more bank failures? Will there be a national extension of the protection for depositors, even uninsured depositors. We'll have to see and hope you will check back in with us on Potomac Watch daily to see where this goes and what it means. Thank you all for listening.